And we're back. We took a quick little break. This is the Knicks Wall Podcast. I am your host, Mike Cortez. Joining me today, as always, the TKW Pod OG, TKW OG, host of Whistle Sports 3 to the Dome Podcast, Kyle Maggio. Kyle, what's good? What's going on, man? Just uh, happy to be on, trying to make some content for the people in this difficult time. How you doing? I will admit it sounds a little weird saying I'm the host. I miss I miss Corbo already. It is strange. It is strange. We're sorry. Well, Corbo, if you're listening, we miss you. We love you. But the show must go on, and basketball hasn't really gone on. We are still at a standstill. I saw a report, I think yesterday, that the NBA wants to crown a champion by Labor Day. Obviously, that has nothing to do with the Knicks whatsoever. So for all intents and purposes, I think the season's over. Um, but yeah, so the league's kind of in a standstill with coronavirus in terms of Nick specific news with the coronavirus, James Dolan, our owner, our CEO of Madison square garden, he tested positive for coronavirus. He was asymptomatic, so he wasn't really going through much. Thankfully, as much as we give him shit, we never want someone to fall sick especially with a deadly virus such as this so kyle what were your immediate thoughts when you heard dolan tested positive i mean i was a little surprised um i I was i was surprised but i wasn't it was coming at a time when a lot of the players were testing positive as well so you knew it was within the nba circle so i wouldn't say i was overly shocked or floored it's just more like oh it happened to my team you know but uh yeah, you know, like you said, like, obviously we have our grievances with James Dolan as a basketball owner, but uh, you never wish ill on anybody. So hopefully just, you know, uh, just a, a simple note of humanity, just whatever. Hope he gets better. And it is what it is. Uh, we, we're allowed to separate those things. Our basketball fandom doesn't always have to blind us. But uh, yeah, I, I don't know. Well, what about you? I was just a little, little surprised. The main thing I thought about was, okay, I guess the team did get tested because they didn't drop any news about players possibly having it or even a release saying players all tested negative because during the season they released a press release anytime James Dolan had loose stool. So for them to not release anything and then have James Dolan himself test positive, that was a little weird to me. But hopefully that means none of the players have it. I'm interested to see how he got it. There are a few CEOs that tested positive that were asymptomatic, so maybe it's just people just mixing in the same crowds. That's kind of what this virus has been. It's kind of been like the, what is it, six degrees of separation or seven degrees of separation. That's kind of just been on full display, and I guess that's what it was with Dolan because as far as I know, he is the only NBA owner to test positive, at least publicly. Yeah. Yeah, so far uh, from what we've heard, Um, but... It seems like on the bright side, anyway, um, any of the NBA folks who have gotten it have been clear of it pretty quickly afterwards or have recovered without many issues. So 
uh, I mean, there's at least some silver lining there that, you know, despite a, a little scare, everybody's kind of recovering. So uh, that's good. You know, you're always worried because you hear it's hitting certain people harder. You know, it's not just the older, or the youngest people. So uh, good to see anybody uh, in, in and around our league kind of not getting wiped out from this. That's that's always a positive. Absolutely. And the Knicks and Nets actually, the rivals on the court, but this virus has kind of just put sports and false allegiances aside. Knicks and Nets both donated, um, they actually combined rather, to donate a million masks. So I think that was a really good move. For those that are unaware, New York is the epicenter of the United States and probably the world right now with this breakout. So just having our local teams helping out the healthcare workers, transit workers, all those guys, it's really, really a good look. And I don't know, this may sound... I sound like one of those those people that want positive Knicks coverage, damp, but like that should have been covered a little more because when the initial shutdown went down, I remember Wojnowski made a point to say the Knicks were one of the few teams that wanted to keep playing, but they kind of sh- not they didn't shy away. But I, f- I think only saw Bagley break the story on the masks, and ESPN just put out you know just a little blog on it. But I thought that was good by the Knicks and the Nets. Yeah, um, it's it's tough because you know I you know how I am with the media stuff. Like I usually think that most of the stuff in Flack that the Knicks do or don't get is pretty warranted. Um, I've you know would have been nice you know if there was more coverage, but I think there there's kind of a lot happening right now by way of donation um, with everybody trying to chip in or give something. Um, so it feels like every time, you know, every day almost we're hearing about so, somebody or a couple different people are, you know, donating certain things. So um, I don't think anybody's re- like any one person's getting too much coverage. I wouldn't worry about that, I guess. But, um, you know, see, I, I don't know. I'm just glad people are stepping in, doing the right thing. Like you said, the Knicks, it's a good look for the Knicks, good look for the Nets. Obviously, they they should be doing this kind of stuff when there's no basketball, there's no games and, you know, no offense, but these teams often and owners often print money. Like you, you should find a way to, to make these kinds of donations happen. And it's good that uh, they didn't really need too too much pressure to kind of get on that. You know, um, the, the earliest example of somebody donating a mask that I saw was Stefan Marbury, the former Nick, former net. Um, so that was a, a really nice first step. Um, I just want to pull up how many, masks exactly he was donating because it was a sizable uh, uh i have amount, it it's, but, um, it was 10 million and n95 masks which are probably like the cadillac of masks you can wear and these were for healthcare workers and for those that have been following the coronavirus coverage lately hospitals were running really low and recently people finally admitted that people outside of hospitals need masks so for marbury to come through like that i mean what a guy and I hope I'm happy he got coverage for it because I guess now that we stepped away from his Knicks career, I think more people look on him in a better light. But I feel like he kind of got like kind of like how J.R. Smith was, where we loved him but we also hated him. Like he drove some people nuts. I'm just happy it was a good little story. Well, my issue with the way people view players like Marbury or like J.R. or like Melo is that I, I don't. I, I guess I just don't know what people expect I, I don't know if these are just casual fans who don't know better i you know I, I don't know if it's just people being a little bit too pointed with their criticism at times but 
it, it bothers me because I just feel like the context is always lost. Like Marbury came and, and he, for a couple of seasons, three, I think three or four or so, I mean, he put up the numbers that we expected more or less. I mean, right or wrong, right? I mean, he came and, and did his duties as a, one of the better point guards in the league, as far as I'm concerned, right? Like the rest of the roster really just was not very good and it just didn't work out. And I feel like this is sort of the issue that we keep running into is like, we hold guys to the standard of what they aren't when they're with this team versus what they are. Like JR was signed to be a sixth man type secondary score on, on a hopefully a good team. And that's what he was. Uh, he was not a second star. He was never meant to be a second star. If he was much better than he was for us, then he would have basically been a second star. So that's why I don't really get what people are looking for. And the same thing with Melo. Uh, people basically hated him for not getting enough playoff success or whatever they disliked him for. Ball, you know, ball hog, whatever, right? Ball stopper. Uh, they signed Carmelo Anthony to be a premier scorer in the NBA. That was That's the agreement. When, when you sign Carmelo Anthony with Max Deal, you're signing a top scorer in the NBA to be a top scorer in the NBA. So it's like, I, I just don't know why we, we get certain guys. And like, the, the issue is not, not on those guys. The issue is always on the second half. It's always, well, what happened after we got those guys? Why was the roster not constructed in a better manner? Why was it, why did this trade happen? You know, that's the way I always look at it. If a guy comes in and, and does his job, I don't know why we end up hating them for a lack of success or more success. It's just a very strange thing for me you know I, I always find the ire and like well why was this guy traded for why why was this bum on this team why did we sign these guys that that's what you call help that's what you call a, a good team you know i don't know that that's always where my head's on it i never really liked that i understand how some of that stuff towards the end the way it looked the optics with marbury but i kind of think he kind of got done dirty a little bit towards the end there but i think you hit the nail on the head on all fronts there and in the specific case of marbury and jr all of a sudden, I think it's this is just a theory, but Knicks fans get like pompous, or New York fans, right? New York basketball fans, that they know so much more about the game than everyone else. And in the case of Marbury specifically, the issue was, oh, he hasn't passed. He's a point guard, and he's a point guard. I just hate how everyone all of a sudden the authority on basketball, and I feel like the Marbury hate more so than the J.R. Smith, but J.R. Smith was. Sometimes he just let go of some shots. I mean, you live and die with it, obviously. But sometimes he just lifted shots that were just absolute gross. But Marbury was, I would say he was the best player on that playoff team. Obviously, it was a very quick uh, playoff life, but he still made the playoffs. He should be getting a lot more respect than he did now and then. So we just have that warped sense of reality with this. Like, not every star is going to be able to drag you through th- two or three rounds of a playoffs. It, people get this, like, notion in their head that if you're a star, you got to be able to get to the second round, hopefully the third round of the playoffs every year. Like, that's not how it works, man. Especially when, when it's you by yourself. Like, it's it's not how it works. You know, not, not everybody's LeBron. You know, it, it's, it's tough to have that all-around two-way impact over the course of a season and then the playoffs. Like... It's tough. Some guys are stars more one way than the other. Like this is just the way the NBA works. It's it's hard. It, it it's not the norm. It's hard to be those kinds of guys. So I I don't know. I just think we all got to relax sometimes and just to, look. I mean, standards are low around here, man. You just got to enjoy like the good enough basketball sometimes when it gets here because even yeah, that doesn't stand pretty long. I I just to those people that complain about especially with Mellow, because that really grinded me. Where it's like, oh, he can't win. It's like, okay, let's go back to see what that was done after they traded for him, like you said. 
But also, he's not LeBron. Like, very few people are LeBron James. And I would point to, please point me to a team or a player that consistently brought his team deep into the playoffs that wasn't named LeBron. Maybe Westbrook, Harden, but those guys are superstars. So, we just got to appreciate, man. Yeah. For sure. But, you know, just to circle back, yes. uh, shout out to Stefan Marbury uh, for, for, I mean, that's it's a lot of masks, man. And I, I've seen much smaller do, uh, donations on, on the same kind of front from people with much, much more money and, and much more uh, resources. But, you know, Marbury, as always, is a man of the people. He, he's always been that way, uh, going back to, you know, the Starberry shoes being $15 and, and making, you know, something that was affordable and nice for people to be able to wear. So uh, it's just nice to see, you know, no matter how much time goes by, he's kind of always been the same dude and, and always kind of lived by those kinds of, uh, of morals, you know, trying to help out anyway. But uh, it was just nice to see. I was surprised. I mean, I wasn't surprised to see him help. I was surprised to see him. I was surprised yeah. to see that number. 10 million was a lot. I mean, and, just for context, and, and I'm impressive. not pocket watching anyone. But the Knicks and Nets combined for $1 million. This guy, by himself, 10X'd it. So that's just love, man. And that's just – he's always been about the city, and that's just further proof of it. And that's why I think the Chinese fans love him so much. Because at least they got it because they don't get that many star players. Marbury is probably the best player to go over there while he was still good. So I guess they had a little more appreciation for that. But, yeah, man of the people, man. But – uh. Let's get off coronavirus. It's I'm sure everyone gets that anywhere they turn right now. Let's shift to some Knicks news. Some Knicks news has happened over the last couple of weeks. Leon Rose looking for a Scott Perry replacement. Elton Brand was a name mentioned. I was not expecting that. So Bondi from the Daily News broke the story. He says he's a candidate. Leon Rose looking at him. I don't like what Philly's done since he's got there. I didn't like the Horford signing. I felt like they should have tried harder to keep Jimmy. What were your immediate reactions on that? I I, I found it a little bit. I mean, I thought they should have tried to keep Jimmy. Um, I thought that should have been priority one. I don't know if that was an option, sadly. Uh, I think that's the way we probably got to think about it. I think they probably wanted to keep him, but it seems like he was intent on doing his own thing and kind of leading his own you know, band down there in Miami. So um, I, I, I don't know. Um, I, I, I give him credit for retaining like some kind of talent, you know, like I give him credit for after all of that, they, they still ended up with like a Tobias Harris, even if he's overpaid, like they still gave Ben and Embiid some help uh, for a couple of years locked in. Like, I, I do think there's something to at least like taking a couple big swings on trades like that. And then being able to keep, Tobias isn't a star, but he's a high-level starter, I would say. And uh, I give him credit. It's just not really working. I thought Josh Richardson was a decent get, to be honest with you. Before the year, I thought Josh Richardson was like a really nice fit in that lineup. I think the Horford thing was really silly. I think that's what's troublesome. I don't know if he did that as a just get him out of Boston move. I don't know what you know the intentions were because we know that Horford kind of owned Embiid in the playoffs. So. I, I don't know what the motives were there, I guess, but um, it just seemed kind of clunky, I guess. Like, I, I thought he had the right idea for certain things, but it, it just hasn't really flowed. And it, and Philly's kind of difficult to watch at times, you know? So I, I wouldn't really be thrilled with getting him, but I don't know that it... 
like I don't I I can't really say he's been like too much of a failure either. Like he pulled off a couple successful trades to get stars over there, right? Like he, he got to retain one of them. Like he still did sign like talents like Al Horford and things like that. So it's like I mean he he is signed. It didn't work out, but I mean there's something to the the pull that maybe he has, the draw he has. I, I, is this am I reaching? Maybe just because he took over when Embiid and Simmons were already there. My issue with him is he took over when they were there and all he had to do was really just make the trades because Philly through Hinky and then Colangelo kind of screwed up. Oh shit. Did I, did I not talk for at all for that second? Uh, just towards the, uh, just um, yeah, my whole thing, maybe it's a reach because when he took over Simmons and Embiid were already semi-established in the sense that, they were on everyone's radar as the next up-and-coming duo. But he did make the trades to his credit, and he did keep Tobias to his credit. But in terms of coming to New York, New York doesn't have anything close to what Philly had when he took over. So I don't know how that adds up. I know in Bonnie's report, the connection, for those wondering, is Rose was Embiid's agent. So that's how he worked closely with Bran. Maybe through that, he was... They develop more of a relationship behind the scenes that we don't know about. But I don't know. I I want somebody that's a, a builder. I feel like Brand's more of a maintaining GM, where if you have a good core, he just doesn't fuck up. But with the Knicks, you have to be... They haven't had a builder. I feel like he's more of the same of what Scott Perry was, where he doesn't do too much. Like He does his job. He's not throwing away money, but he's also not making calculated risks. Yeah, I, I mean, I'd just prefer not to um, with Elton Brand. I, I'd prefer to watch how that Philly thing kind of works out a little bit more, but uh, it seems like we might not have the luxury of waiting. Um, I, I don't really know who I'd want right now, man. I This might be – I almost feel like the, the pause here is giving me time to just, like, fade out a little bit because I'm just exhausted from, like, talking myself into Scott Perry after we hired him. And I feel like not even two years later, now I got to do that whole process again and say, all right, well, who's next? How are we doing this? I'm just like, even even without the brand, it's just like or whoever it would be, you know, it's I don't just think, like, all right, well, let's just get Maybe Maury or obviously Jerry, but that's not happening. Those are probably the only two GMs that, I'm gonna, that will really get me excited. Presty too. Okay. Presty. Yeah. Presty I'd, be, Presty, I'd be pretty excited for, but, but, but I, I don't this is it's just a weird spot to be because I feel like the only guys I'd be excited for, I know there's no chance of them getting. So it's like, all right, well, whoever they're gonna get, I'm gonna either feel angry about or like meh. Like, all right, well, another Scott Perry type. Hopefully it works out, you know? Uh let's go Knicks. Don't know what's gonna happen. And then I've two years later we're gotten to the point it, so. where I'm just resigned we'll to seeing Alan used to promote it and seeing how he does. Because I that's kind of the sense I get because I know Perry's going to stay or stick around, at least for the draft, and Houston's going to have a role in the front office. This whole time, I feel like they've just been slowly grooming him because he's like the company so, guy. And he hasn't seen – I don't think he's an imbecile, contrary to like Steve, like a Steve Mills type person that's a company guy. So, so to, to my understanding, not that I have sources, but to my understanding, um, he is a company guy. He's not – and he's not like the the yes man that that maybe Steve Mills was, but he is a, a very much a company guy. So 
if I, I'm not like mega opposed to him trying his hand at it at this point, uh, I'm really not very opposed to almost anybody uh, trying their hand at this point with, with the lows we've gotten to. But um, to my understanding, like I would sort of, if he were to get promoted, I would do it with the expectation of like, this is still kind of a Dolan extension kind of move. That That's the way I would view it. Um, even if it's to a lesser degree than like a Steve Mills, but even still, uh, wouldn't, wouldn't necessarily mind it with how Westchester's operated. Uh, I'm always willing to give anybody from there a shot. He's been the GM there for a while, so he's been around the team the whole season. Like anyone that goes to games, you'll see him on the court pregame, and you'll see him in the vicinity of Perry and Mills. So he's been around. I'm assuming the. I mean, I have no reason to believe the players wouldn't like him especially the guys that stood in Westchester for a little bit. So and on that front, I wouldn't be devastated. Obviously, I want one of the names you mentioned, Presti, Maury, Ujiri, but let's just be real. That's not going to happen unless, until rather, the product improves. And right now the product is just Mitchell Robinson, R.J. Barrett, and Frank Nilakina. Yeah, uh, I really do hope that they nuke it, to be quite honest with you. Um, I'd like whoever, this isn't, the plan that you know talk about any of this but i i would like that we just just hit reset just you can't keep all of these kids forever and just hope that they bank out i've been screaming this for like a year and a half this is this is, we're starting to get to decision time this is year three for some players you know like kevin knox mitchell robinson obviously mitch is somebody you want to keep but you know this is a big year for Kevin Knox and for Frank Nielakina too, somebody who made very small incremental improvements this year. You know, you're entering year four now, buddy. You got to show something, something like consistently. Like th- this is starting to be decision time and there's going to start being some roster turnover for everybody who's screaming about, oh, you can't just turn the roster over every year. Well, now these are guys that have been on for two, three, four seasons like that. That have You have a, a little group here that has been here. If you aren't getting results from them, you don't just keep them because they are young. So what pieces are, are going to kind of get left off now is, is what I'm curious. You know, we have here to talk about Laurie Markkinen a little bit as, you know, buy low on him. Is that somebody you bring in as, as somebody that maybe fits the timeline a little bit more? I, I don't know your thoughts on it, but I think anybody who's that age, who's at least shown a little bit of promise is somebody we're taking a stab at. Um I, to me, it's it's more useful than signing more like Wayne Ellington's. That's somebody who's going to actually produce for you to some degree, and you're just going to see how good he actually is. I'm so, very intrigued. What's and your take on if the, you guys the, haven't read it, <clears throat> check out the seven deadliest sins I wrote about. You know the seven major mistakes the front office, the coaches, and the players made this year because this year was a disaster. I know people want to say, "Oh, well, you're thinking too negative." Unless you're truly a fool. You weren't. You're not. You can't be happy with a 21 win season. Obviously, shortened, but 21 wins, and they were maybe if the full play the full season, maybe they cracked 25 to 30 range. Maybe that's not good. That's not cutting it. But to me, I think right now I would only keep Mitch, RJ, and Frank for sure. And for those that haven't read yet, Hayne Quinton wrote a really good piece on uh, Frank's future off the ball. I think that's where it is playing off the ball, being a defensive ace, kind of like a Thabo Cephalosha type of player. And with Knox, I would send him to the G League for a heavy amount of time. And not because I think he's bad, 
more because I think he just he's still a blank canvas. He hasn't changed since he's gotten here for the most part. Sure, he's gotten better at weak side blocks. His jumper is he's still hitting threes at the same clip he was as a rookie. He's fallen off everywhere else, pretty much. Correct me if I'm wrong, but he's just not he's not what the Right. The the regression outweighed any of the pros. Is is the point that I've kind of belabored here, and I know we've kind of belabored. And again, it's not. I feel like everybody uh, in in Nick's land yes. kind of conflates being critical of a young player with hating them. Um, if if Kevin Knox stinks for two seasons and we say he stinks, that doesn't mean we hate him. That means we have identified the obvious. That's it. Like that. That's that. There's no like feelings behind it. Like that's it. That's it. We, we were fans. We want him to do well. We want to get on here and then state the obvious and say, oh, he's been killing it. But that's not what happens. So as always, just want to get that out of the way. But like, you know, with Knox, that that was the issue. Now, now we're through year two. Obviously, his minutes were kind of slashed here in his second year. And uh, yeah, I mean, he didn't really show anything. His shooting percentages went down and that was supposed to be his one strength. So does the couple of weak side blocks make up for the 99 <laughs> other times that he's not paying attention when somebody cuts yeah. back door. Like it's, it's, you know what I mean? It's like, yeah, I want him to do well, but I mean, he's got to, it, it's do or die time. Like the thing that we root for winning basketball here, that's what all the fans should be rooting for. So if guys aren't making an impact and this doesn't mean day one game one, but like, okay, you know, I'm all for being yeah. patient, but we just saw well over 150 games. Of, of Kevin Knox, did anybody anybody listening uh, after 150 games of Kevin Knox were you impressed? I imp- impressed that you had real impressive takeaways from it. I mean, you'd be lying. You'd be lying. You would not be. You, you can't have been impressed after two seasons. That's okay. I hope he gets better, but it's just not there. So this is like this is kind of what I want the team to start thinking about, man. Like who. Now you got to make some tough choices. Can you sell some of these guys with with any value left right now while they aren't panning out? If you don't have fl- uh, plans in the future for them, you know, like guys like Kevin Knox, you got to try to see if you can move while they have any kind of value. <laughs> I mean, he followed up the sure. worst rookie season with the worst sophomore season. It's like, you know, so it's like, he, what what value does he have? Does he have any? Can we get something for him? And, and it, I would move Frank if I was being honest with you, because the way I'm looking at it is. He's probably one of the only pieces mm-hmm. that you don't, you're not in must keep mode, like RJ or Mitch, and you could probably sell him to a team saying, I mean, you see the kind of defender he is. You know, at times he could be a second. Like you can kind of upsell him a little bit. Knox is is yeah. you're selling basically. He was the number what eight pick in the draft, ninth ninth pick in the draft. So that, that it's just different to me. So like I don't know. I would I would let Frank go if you find a good package for him or a decent enough package, but. You know, try yeah, to he's just gone, gone. move this... Knox. I, I don't know. Trier seems like a foregone conclusion. He's gone. Uh, yeah, he's just gone for sure. So it's like you're going to have to start clearing some space and turning some things over. So I, I'm basically saying like, yeah, I'm cool. If they find a way to get some of these young guys out, you can't just keep adding young guys. You know, if you add Lori, someone not, someone isn't going to play more, even more. So move one of these guys if you're going to get a Lori. Like I'm, I'm fine if they want to start buying loans some new guys like that. It's like I said, it's better than like signing Hazonia for a year or Von Ley for a year and, and trying to take a flyer that way. Yeah, hundred percent. But like this would be a like a more prudent way to do it, I guess. 
you know, so I, I'm, I'm, I'm fine with it. Even if I'm not really high on Laurie, I wasn't high on him coming out of the draft. Was pleasantly surprised with him immediately afterwards because he was balling for a little while. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it wouldn't hurt. It wouldn't hurt. And, I mean, he could shoot, right? He could play the, the four. He could space the floor with Mitch. I mean, theoretically. I mean, I it wouldn't hurt. I'm, I'm not opposed to that at all. I think that's somebody who could play, help us play a modern brand of yeah. basketball. And uh, he's a floor spacing big, and that's what we want with RJ, right? So it, it makes some sense. I think it makes more than some. I think it's kind of a perfect match in the sense Lori wants to get traded because right now, from what I've read, Boylan was mainly using him as a spot up shooter, which he's not. He's not Porzingis. Like Porzingis, more is more of the stretch the floor spot up shooter, especially now post knee injury. Laurie's not that. Laurie, he shoots well, but he can also do other things. I remember watching him as a rookie, and I was shocked. I was like, "Holy crap! This guy's driving and dunking, and he's doing everything." So I think that's what they were missing with the Knicks. Were were missing with Randall this year. Randall was kind of just a rim runner. His shot left him completely. He was ice cold for most of the season. I think Lori, you swap out Randall for Lori. That's somebody that you can run pick and pop with with RJ. That's somebody that can fit with Mitch much better than Randall ever will because the Randall Mitch pairing was an abject disaster. And also the pay, the contract. I think Lori's down years, relative obviously, will prevent him from getting that super max. So it's not like you're going to be in a Porzingis situation all over again where you got to think about a $150 million commitment. I think Laurie's contract could end up being in the neighborhood of what Randall got from the Knicks, where it stays below 20 mil per year average. That's a no doubter to me. And the only hard part is just moving Randall, who I guess we'll just combine the last two segments where his teammate, like people on the team were starting to get pissed off when he wouldn't pass the ball. And he had like that tunnel vision. And I found it funny in the post story with Berman, the only teammate that didn't have a problem with Randall's playing style. I mean, let, let me guess. Who, let me let you guess, rather. Which teammate do you think did not have a problem with Randall's playing style? Elf yep. Payton. So those two can get going. Uh, Elf's pretty much gone. He's on uh, team option, so hopefully he's gone. But the only hiccup is just getting rid of Randall because I don't think – I mean, Randall seems like a nice guy. He's not an asshole, but he also doesn't fit. I would like to see. I would so, like to see that Charlotte that Charlotte deal that was rumored. Put that into a three team: Chicago, Charlotte, move Randall, bring in Lowry. What do you think? Um. Okay, so I I hate I hate the Charlotte deal that has Terry uh, Rozier coming to the Knicks. I I would the only thing that I I think I would hate more than the current situation we're in is if I'd have to watch. Terry Rozier for any extended period of time on my favorite basketball team. Uh, I was adamant about them throwing money at him over the summer. I'm adamant about taking, uh, you know, him on in any capacity. Um, but I mean, I mean, I don't know. I mean, I, I understand the Randall part of this too. And look, I, I've made excuses for Randall to some degree. Um, I I do think there is something for when a player is brought in and they they basically tell him like you're going to be the number one this year which is what happened uh i think it should have been hey we're signing you with the intention of you and rj got to work together but it was very very clear both from uh how they trotted him out day one how they you know fizdale used him how uh mike miller used him it, it just seemed very clear that like they wanted him to be the the budding young star at least initially so it didn't work out didn't work out. Uh, some guys aren't cut out for it. I think he's a he is a good impactful player. I, I do understand the spin moves and 
the turnovers piss people off. I, I understand. It, it was ugly basketball this year. I get it. Uh, I, he's not a bad basketball player. He's it's it's not it's not a good fit. Uh, they put him on a terrible team this season. This goes for everybody too. The spacing was just bad in general for anybody. Like Mitch, for example, is a guy who thrives in space offensively because he gets to roll to the rim, float in the air, throw down any alley oop. Right? Was there much space for Mitch to do that this year? Not really. And there wasn't a lot of off ball movement. Right? Getting him going. R.J. Barrett, a guy who typically needs the ball, didn't really have the ball. So he couldn't really do anything. And he's a guy who likes to get to the rim. And when he would get into the paint, there was people in the paint. So it just seems like everybody on this team, like it just wasn't constructed in a way that was going to work well. You know, over the summer, we talked about how they would fit. And we said, it's going to be tough if they go into a half court. They better be trying to run as much as they can. You know, Randall in transition, RJ in transition, Mitch in transition. This is how they can win some games and, and you know, surprise some people. And instead, they played slow and and locked into post-ups and things like that so i i I just don't really understand what the point was um it it just seems kind of lazy that they gave they basically all right well julius you're gonna you're gonna be the guy we're gonna give you 15 post-ups a game and and that's the strategy like it just seems like really really lazy so that what bothers me more than anything is like the team construction with it it just seems like you had some decent pieces that just didn't make sense you know but they got to figure out a way to get randall out it, it it does make sense, man. I understand. Um, it, it makes it, he's not making a ton of money, but obviously the the plan is you want to give RJ the ball. Mitch needs to start. Both those guys need space to operate. Play a little two man game, which means they're going to need shooters. And it, it's time. Like if you really if you have any brain when you're watching this basketball team, then you you kind of know what the deal is. Yeah, I feel Randall was kind of caught in the middle of a safe face campaign where they missed on Durant. And I feel like they were kind of paralyzed from missing from like they didn't want to make a seismic move that would piss people up even more. Like let's say they did a CP3 trade that the Rockets offered, the jokes would have been flying. And well, my attitude is who cares what anyone's saying? The Knicks are hypersensitive to any criticism, especially lately. So I feel like they kind of just wanted to say, all right, let's prop up youth again, and Randall will be the guy that we say can take the next step with the Knicks and that hasn't happened. And it's kind of been a cruel twist of fate for RJ because all throughout the pre-draft process last year, we were saying RJ is going to work as long as he has better shooting because it can't be worse than it was at Duke. And then this year happens and it's, I would say it's just about dead even in terms of the poor spacing RJ had to deal with. So that's why someone like Laurie would be huge to have. And a reason why Randall, I mean, if Randall wanted to stay and be the sixth man, no problem with me, but that's just not going to happen. That's just not realistic. It's either the Knicks are going to think that looks bad on them or Randall's going to be like, screw that. I want to start. So that's the only reason I want him gone. Just to be clear, I'm kind of in the same camp with you where I, I think I, he's still a talented guy. I, I do think that he should want to start. And I do. I, I think that's, he should be starting. He's a starting caliber player in the NBA. Like you can be angry about that with me. If you want, that's fine. A guy who does rebound like that, who is you know able to play make a little bit, they shouldn't let him do it anywhere near the degree that the Knicks gave him responsibilities with this year. But if you blend it, you're supposed to you know keep a little bit of a leash on him. Is, is I guess the best way to put it, like kind of how he was that last season in LA. Like he was playing. If you go look at the numbers, like he was playing better defense back then. His playmaking was a little bit cleaner. He was just okay. I'm going to get to the rim. I got a clean lane. I'm good to go. 
Like I have a wide open shot. I'm taking it. Like he wasn't overthinking anything and he wasn't overcomplicating anything. Like and that was two years ago. So he, he didn't get dumber in two years. To me, it's just, it's, it's about team fit, I guess. So if, if I was him, it's per like he should want to start, but make sure the next place you're going or that they're going to trade you to, hopefully like you, you gotta, you gotta have a better fit for you. Like it, it's all good to like put up the numbers generically, I guess, but like, it's got to make sense for you to fit wise. Like it was, like you said, a saving face move with, with signing him. And I, I still think it was a fine signing. I think that's what they should have done because now you do have a piece where if it doesn't work out, now you could try to move him. He is an asset. Like as much as people think he has no value, he still does. So this is a fine situation to be in. It's not the end of the world. There is going to be interest in him, but yeah, I mean, it, it really isn't working out with the, the young pieces. Like maybe anybody would have hoped. So just a rough situation overall, but We'll see what happens. There's the drafts coming up. If depending on who they get, maybe that can alleviate some issues in the meantime, or maybe a trade sees itself on draft night or during free agency or even next season. So there is time for Randall to have like a little reclamation project of his own. And there's time for the Knicks to make a move and kind of just not fuck up anymore because this franchise has been in a standstill since the golden year. <laughs> and yeah, I'm just tired. Like you, I'm just tired of it. I want to swing for the fences and fans have become paralyzed to making big moves, which is even more puzzling. You go on Twitter and people are like, ah, Devin Booker doesn't win games. Shut your mouth. He's a good basketball player. The best basketball player that's played here since Melo. If he was to come here. Yeah. Well, it goes back to, you know, everybody just forgets how to talk about basketball in context. It's the rings or bust culture. And with that, it's, you're not a great player if you're not able to bring your team to the finals every year, pretty much, or most years. And it's just, it's a really silly way to talk about it. Winning is hard in any sport, bro. Like any sport. In football or baseball, it's even harder. Teams are one and done much more often in those sports. They pop up, they're a winning team, and then they disappear within what, two seasons, three seasons? It's a quick turnover. Like NBA's. You know, I mean, it's it's hard to win. It just, it really is. Like, there's a lot of great players, a lot of great times. Like, it's hard to get to the top. It, it's okay if you don't, like, especially early early in your career. Like, context matters. Who are you playing with? Is your team a G League team? Like, you know, re- like, really, just use your brain. Like, that's all I ask. Use your brain. Like, you know, you know, but, like, we've all played, we all mostly should have played basketball, even if it was casually. You know, like, you know what it's like to play and win a game like that. You could be on fire, and if your other four teammates are not cutting it, it might not be your day. You know what I mean? You could you could hit every shot sometimes, and if the other team is making every shot also because your team isn't playing well, what are you supposed to do? Like some, this is just it's basic basketball, man. People got to just really get back to just all right. Is he a, is he a top scorer in the game? Okay, well maybe he's one of the better players in the game. We don't got to overthink this. You know, it's that that's kind of where I'm at. I, I really get tired of this every day. We got to find a way to say why, why somebody isn't as good as we think they are. Like just go get some air. <laughs> exactly. Just to put a bow on it. The NBA has had, I think the fewest amount of teams win a championship. So it's really hard to win a title. Just be happy. I would like for me, I just want to go back to watching playoff basketball. I miss hearing the garden erupt like an earthquake. It's I miss it. And I would do anything for that. Yep. Uh, and and just last note, I want to say, uh, as always, today's the uh, eight year anniversary of Melo hitting that Easter Day shot. Uh, oh, is it? This, yep. This is the this is our Super Bowl, fellas. This is our Super Bowl, folks. So uh, everybody enjoy it. Hope you uh, have a good night tonight. 
you know, you, you party as much as you can because this is all we've got. <laughs> is, is Melo going absolutely bonkers in the fourth quarter in overtime to save that game? Uh, as always, as I remind you guys often, I was there at that game. It was very, very fun. Um, but yeah, uh, enjoy that. We got that up on Twitter today, obviously. But on that note, you can watch that game, highlights, and other games and highlights using our Nixflix app uh, made by the the wizard, the genius, uh, the, the the wonder boy of TKW, Ryan Gray. Uh, the very, very happy we have that guy. Uh, excellent, 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 brilliant kid. And uh, go check it out, though. It's a, it's a Netflix-style app that we have on the Nixwall.com. Uh, basically, you can write up top. It's a random game generator. Um, the whole point is there's lots of things to do right now and binge watch and sit through while we're all home. Instead of trying to pick one, you just click the random game and it'll pull up anything from, you know, that's available on, on YouTube pretty much. That's uh, from the 70s, 80s, 90s, 2000s, 2010s. So we try to make it fun, give you guys something. It's not every single full game. It's it's as much as, as is available to us to put into that app so go check it out I, i've been watching some older regular season games from the 2012 13 season um just honestly because i want to watch good knicks basketball it's not even like even the mellow thing like it was nice to watch the ball movement with pablo on that team and guys busting their ass like you know jr and and shumpert every possession and tyson tipping everything back out it, it's just nice to remind us that like a good team does exist from time to time in these uniforms so uh i know all of us probably want to feel that way. So go check it out. It's Nick's Flicks. It's at the Nickswell.com. Ryan Gray made it, uh, as always. But yeah, uh, really, really enjoying it so far. Really happy, you know, we were able to get that out for you guys. Yeah, funny thing about that Easter game, I was at my family's house. It's Easter, holy day. And when he hit that three, I don't remember the exact words I said, but it was just a laced with curse words and <laughs> the way my family looked at me, it was like they were horrified. They're like, you're just an animal. Because I was just like the adrenaline rush that I got. Felt like I was in the game. I haven't had that in a while for a non, especially a non-playoff game. And man, that was just fun. It was just such a rush. And especially when we hit that second three, I was just going nuts. Such a good thing. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I actually, uh, the thing that I leave out when I tell this story sometimes when I was there was um, I actually gave myself a very, very severe migraine <laughs> from yelling. Um, it, it, it's funny now, but this and people who get bad migraines will understand this. Um, my head was sore for like two days. Like somebody had punched me in the back of the neck. Like it was I, I screamed so loud. I don't know. Like that's the best way I could put it. I screamed so loud. And when I did, something went off and like my head was just pounding. And it nonstop pounding. So, uh, I, but I say that because you know I'm I'm a, very, I'm a pretty laid back guy. I don't do a lot of yelling like that. Uh, so that for me to get that animated and uh, nearly literally blow my brains out was a uh, quite extraordinary. It was quite an experience that I'll never forget. Certainly, so uh, it's it certainly helped make that uh, memory very vivid for me, even if I didn't want to forget it. So, uh, but. Yeah. Uh, anything else we have here? Or? No, I just wanted to let people know that if you aren't using Netflix, you should because over the next couple of weeks without basketball, we're going to go back to those golden years and, you know, rewatch old games and visit old teams. So next week we're going to do that 2012, 2013 team. Just kind of remember the good times because there were even beyond Mello. I mean, I was watching uh, game one against the Celtics the other night. I was just like, damn, Mello sauce. And he had like a little spin. His opening three was just absolute fire where he just spins around, 
and just pulls up at the top of the arc. Bang. It was good times. I just brought back so many good memories and we want to rekindle those because I feel like this whole coronavirus thing has been a nostalgia tour for sports. So I figure why not look back on some of the great Knicks moments and me and Kyle are also going to get on Twitch, which is another thing we wanted to plug. Follow us on Twitch. It's Kyle, is it at the Knicks wall or just Knicks wall? Uh, should be twitch.tv slash the Knicks wall. And uh, we've tweeted about it a little bit, but we have our TKW program team. Uh, most of you guys that listen play 2K. I know this. I know all of you listeners intimately and personally. <laughs> so I know this. So add us. Uh, you can add my handle at Kyle Maggio. Uh, a lot of the TKW stuff obviously runs through me. Uh, Mike's on the team. Jess Lawrence from TKW on the team. A couple of Mike's buddies. Um, you know, we, we, we got a good, good, decent squad. We finally stopped sucking. So uh, we're going to start streaming some games. Now that we got the hang of the online play. But all that all that is to say, I know you guys have 2K. Find us. Hit, up, hit us up on Twitter in the comments. Uh, anything dms just if you want to hop on if you got fives threes and you want to run it broadcast it, stream it i mean let's make some content people you guys are all part of this too we're all in these 2k streets so uh let us know uh if you want to challenge or not i mean we'll be out there 100 percent. and if you don't see us on there i know sean has been uh streaming i don't know if it's his franchise mode or his my player but he's been streaming whenever he he's can. doing his re- uh next rebuild right now okay interesting so even better yeah check that out for sure just make sure you're on Twitch because we'll be on Twitch a lot more than we have in the past, especially given that we're all stuck at home for the foreseeable future. So make sure you do that. Um, I think that's it. Make sure you follow Kyle at Kyle Maggio. Make sure you're following the Knicks wall at the Knicks wall. And yeah, go on the Knicks We have a lot of good pieces. Uh, my seven deadly sins. Quinn had uh, off ball for Frank Nilakina. That's where his future is. And Nick Carante, my co-host for draft season, dropped a fun little piece on fictional Knicks fans. So make sure you go check that out. And uh, I think we'll be here next week.